BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, college students, are you looking for a way to get ahead this summer? Northwestern University is offering hundreds of undergrad courses online this summer. Choose an intensive sequence in learning. Registration is open now. Visit northwestern.edu slash summer for details. Your Ben Jarofsky show is just moments away. But before we do this, let's thank the following unions for sponsoring this program. Unions like the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, July 7th. It's brought to you by... One of those days, guys. Our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. All right, no song requests for a song of the day. So, Benny J, we're going to go to you. People, weigh in. Let us know if you can hear us loud and clear, and we'll get today's show started. Benny J, song of the day. Well, I have a confession to make. Uh Uh-oh. Yes, indeed. Uh, Therapy time. uh, Therapy time. Uh, I uh, generally go around saying I don't like the Beach Boys. All right? I don't know if you're a Beach Boy fan, D, but I just generally go around saying, "Eh, I don't like the Beach Boys. I'm a fan. You are a fan. Wow. Yeah. Well, then this weekend I heard Good Vibrations, and I said to myself, you know what? That's a pretty good song. Yeah, right? That's my favorite Beach Boys song. Okay, let's, that's my favorite because there's nothing else on the list, all right? So um, so I just got to give them a shout-out, D. Shout-out to the Beach Boys. Uh, what's your second favorite Beach Boys song? I'm trying to think of another one uh, offhand. I, I, I'm picking up Good Vibrations. Um, I can't think of another Beach Boys song right and now, now. You know what? All of a sudden, I'm flooded with Beach Boys songs that I actually like, having just said I don't like them. Like, oh, uh, man, this is like 40 <laughs> years too late. But hey, <laughs> Beach Boys, you're finally getting the credit okay, from Ben Jarofsky. I was going to sing Good Vibrations, uh, but instead I'll sing another Beach Boys song, which is not technically a, a Beach Boys song. So it's an old song that they did. But here we go. Ready to go. <laughs> they come here to sloop John B. Yeah, 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 yeah. Somebody and me. Woo! Round Nassau Bay. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, got into a fight. You know that song? Well, I found out my worst, uh, my least favorite Beach Boy song. Is that one? Yeah, I think so. I did, had that you ever song heard of <laughs> Sloop John B. It's actually not a bad song. I, but years ago when I was taking guitar lessons, I would I learned how to play like, jing, 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 jing. Oh God, I hate when you have to move your fingers this way. Jing. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Tuesday, July seventh, and yeah, live from Ben's attic. This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. 
Today on the program, it's the return of In These Times writer, Miles Camp-Lassen. And now your host, please sit down and stop <laughs> dancing. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Trump's Enablers Tuesday. And here's why. Great weekend. You have a good weekend, D? Yes, I did. I know you have a good weekend because you're beaming, man. You, you went to you went to the beach yesterday, ladies and gentlemen, but you were social distancing, right? Yes. All right, D. Great. Judge away, listeners. <laughs> I went to the beach. Well, you're allowed to go to the beach, everybody, okay? So just calm down. Uh, but uh, anyway, you look great. He's got that glow, ladies and gentlemen. He's got that nice summer tan from riding his bike all over the place. It was 4th of July weekend. Generally, I really dislike the 4th. Don't get on my case, everybody. It's not because I'm unpatriotic or everything. But as uh, Judge away, <laughs> listeners. He doesn't like the 4th of July. Uh, shame him. Get, leave the attic now. Go to the alley. Uh, I just don't like firecrackers. I've never liked firecrackers. I've always been one of those guys who figured out early on, oh, you could blow your fingers off. Why would you want to light off a firecracker? Never could understand the kids who lighted firecrackers, D. Just I'm like, you guys realize you could blow your fingers off? Oh, come on, man. That's the reason they like them. <laughs> Danger, baby. Yeah, I guess so. Danger. Let me do. By the way, my uh, old dog, Nikki, here. D, remember your imitation of Nikki? No, oh, dude. <laughs> it's unbelievable. We had an imitation of Nikki back in the old days when we do Ben Jarofsky Theater. Uh, Nikki was a frequent character, and Nikki would talk. We call those the hired days. The hired days, yes. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, those good times, uh, Nikki. They're good. I can't believe it. That, that was uh, improv totally, ladies and gentlemen. I did not uh, tell Dennis I was going to throw that at him. Very good for remembering that invitation to Nikki. Uh, anyway, I saw a good movie, State of Play, which is a movie that I missed when it came out. It's only 11 years old. It's dated in many ways. But, uh, you know, you guys check it out. If you, it's pretty good. It's a... Uh, well, our song of the day was the Beach Boys, so... <laughs> That's true. Uh, good, good, good. Good vibe. I like when they go boom, boom, that little thing. I was in the car going, you know what? This is not bad. The Beach Boys aren't bad. That's... Like I said, pretty much the only Beach Boy song I like. Anyway, focus. Oh, I am a white man. I love the Beach Boys. <laughs> Ooh, good, good, good. I'm bringing him. Uh, but uh, yeah, State of Play. Russell Crowe plays this intrepid investigative uh, journalist who uncovers these horrible secrets about corruption in government. Uh, won't give much more of it away. A great cast, although Helen Mirren was totally overacting uh, in her role. But the, here's the th thing, deal. Uh, the Russell Crowe had great hair. I've never seen an investigative reporter with hair quite like Russell Crowe. And he, he had this, like, look he had with his shaggy hair where made it, the whole point was that he didn't pay attention to his hair, but he was constantly, like, brushing back his hair, you know what I'm saying? So, like, okay, Russell, you're drawing attention to your great hair. All right, that's what I kind of thought. I've never seen any investigative journalist or any journalist, for that matter, with great hair. Most journalists I know have lousy hair. Anyway, it's uh, it's a fun movie. We're seeing Irish. journalists. We love you out there. <laughs> even even if you have bad. oh, there's another recurring gag in the show where he's always the guy with the pen. Okay, so he's surrounded by millennials who don't have pens, which is kind of I can relate to that. D, you know, uh, many times back in the old days when you're in the studio, a guest would come in. Oh, I, I want to take notes. Oh, I, I, I would give them my pen. I would always have a pen. It's a Give D a pen. Brian would come in. I'd give him a pen. Nobody ever has pens anymore. So anyway, that was 
gag in the show. Anyway, so um, uh, that's what I did this weekend to deter me from the utter insanity of Donald John Trump and his 4th of July uh, weekend. This is the man uh, we elected as our president. God help us all. Let's see. There was the Mount Rushmore speech. God damn, it's been a long time since we've been on the air. The Mount Rushmore speech was on Friday. The 4th of July White House speech was on Saturday. And then there was just the meltdown on Monday. He always has that meltdown on Monday, right? No collusion. <laughs> where he's just like, I got to tweet something. So he's like uh, defending the Confederate flag, attacking Bubba Wallace. What's this thing about Bubba Wallace? He's got this thing about Bubba Wallace, D. I don't quite understand what that's all about. Uh, Feels compelled. So there was a nice thing in NASCAR. I'll just, Bubba Wallace, I think, is the only uh, black NASCAR driver. I I think he's the only one. Uh, And they discovered a noose and hit the garage. This is a couple of weeks ago. We talked about this on the show. I'm sure most of you know about it anyway, but just in case some of you don't know, all right? And uh, so they discovered a noose, uh, and as a sign of support for Bubba Wallace, all of NASCAR pretty much, they uh, when his car was, when he was driving his car to the start of a race, was a week or so ago, they joined him. It was a sign of support. It was, a, it was kind of a moving thing. I was moved by it anyway. Bubba Wallace was moved by it. it. It was a sign that NASCAR really is trying to separate itself from its racist past or some of the racist proclivities of its fans, uh, trying to embrace a new day, have a wider, more diverse audience, all good things, showing just love and support for Bubba Wallace that he's one of our own, you know, and uh, I thought it was a beautiful thing. But no, Donald Trump's outraged. He's outraged that NASCAR would uh, ban the Confederate flag at its races. He's outraged that NASCAR would show love and support for Bubba Wallace. He thinks Bubba Wallace somehow or other contrived the whole noose thing. I don't know if you see a picture of that rope. sure looks like a noose. So uh, he felt compelled uh, to uh, rip Bubba Wallace, rip NASCAR, and defend the Confederate flag. Wow. Uh, threesome. And by the way, I noticed some parallels to his attack on NASCAR, very similar to his uh, parallels to his attack on the NFL. Uh, the, so back in, what, 2017, when Colin Kaepernick was first taking the knee and a lot of uh, attention was being paid to the NFL, Donald Trump went hard criticizing Colin Kaepernick, number one, criticizing uh, any black player who took a knee, called them sons of bitches, as if you recall. If you recall. Uh, but then he went one step further, and he tried to intimidate the NFL, and it was successful to a degree. He told the NFL, he kept tweeting about how their attendance was falling or their ratings were falling. In other words, he was suggesting that by uh, having Colin Kaepernick and other black players take the knee, the NFL was dividing itself, cutting itself off from the great majority of Americans who were appalled, who shared Trump's disdain uh, for the Colin Kaepernicks of the world. And the NFL was intimidated by this. For, for, to a large degree, many of the owners in the NFL were already Trump supporters, some of them anyway. Uh, Jerry Johnson, excuse me, Jerry Jones of the uh, Dallas Cowboys, uh, who, uh, Rob, Bob, Robert Kraft of the New England Patriots. So there was already this kind of like Trump vibe going on in the NFL, but they were intimidated by it. And so afraid that they might somehow or other lose the Trump base, that somehow or other uh, Trumpsters, MAGA hat wearers, would stop watching the NFL because... The NFL tolerated uh, Colin Kaepernick for taking a knee. What did the NFL owners do? They ordered players not to take a knee. Uh, Jerry Jones with the Dallas Cowboys said, toe that line. Uh, they kicked Colin Kaepernick out. 
right? They they would not. Uh, he couldn't when his contract expired. Nobody would resign him. The Bears went so far as to hire Mike Lennon. I'll never get over that. I don't think I could have root for the Bears uh, while this current ownership is running the team uh, in the aftermath of that. So, and I'm a lifelong Bear fan. Uh, but uh, anyway, so that's how far they went. And now they're kind of rethinking things. You know, they're rethinking things because there's a rebellion among their players. But Trump is trying the same thing with NASCAR. So he's going around saying things like, your he tweeted out, your attendance is falling. It's, it's the same threat. It's like, if you take on me, you'll lose your base. If you take on me, people will turn against you. If you take on me, you'll lose money. So you better fall in line. And uh, I saw the reality is that their uh, TV ratings are up which is one of the few things on television right now anyway. So there's nobody in the stands. So it's kind of a hard time to measure or judge how any sport is doing popularity-wise. But, uh, you know, my, just my advice to the owners of uh, racing car groups and the people who run NASCAR and the people who run the National Football League and the NBA, I would guess, I would hope, maybe I'm just speaking hopefully here, that the future in this country is not with Donald Trump. That the future in this country is not with a uh, deranged president who is 70-something years old, doesn't believe the pandemic is real, thinks it's a hoax concocted by the Chinese, refuses to wear a mask, and celebrates the Confederate flag. I don't think that like the future generations are going to be on his side. So even if you had no conscience, even if you had, you were completely indifferent to politics, or even if you were a right winger who just didn't believe in financing government, we're going to get into that a little later when Dennis does the news. Uh, even if you're in one of these categories, if you want to build your sport, I would think you might want to just distance yourself from Donald Trump uh, and not fall on your knees in fear and panic. Uh, but like so many other people do. And that brings me to my main topic, all the enablers in America today, all the enablers uh, for Donald Trump. They were uh, just full display over the 4th of July weekend. Um, let's see, I'll start with the South Dakota governor, Christy Noem. Uh, she was the one who welcomed Donald Trump to Mount Rushmore in South Dakota on Friday. They had, I don't know how many people, several thousand. I never see, it's interesting. I don't see an exact count uh, from South Dakota. So there's, like we saw with Tulsa, so I don't know uh, how many people were there. But there was a lot of people there. Very little social distancing. Again, they, they go through this ritual that they're pretending uh, that they care about social distancing. So, well, we have masks here, but they kind of like discourage anybody from wearing them. Donald Trump mocks wearing masks. He's not going to wear one. So people get the mask, and there's a sign of allegiance to Donald Trump. They throw him away. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Anybody gets advice for him. Uh, and then, uh, so she welcomes Christy Norm. She welcomes uh, him uh, to her state. Uh, she's on stage to greet him. Uh, she's not in any way concerned about the lack of social distancing, the lack, lack of masks. She embraces it. She says, and I'm quoting, tonight, if you look to your left, if you look to your right, you're going to see that the crowd isn't just from South Dakota, but it's from everywhere in the nation. I read that, uh, I read that account the next day in the newspaper, and I was wondering, first of all, how do you how do you know, just by looking at somebody, where they're from? It's interesting. You know what I mean? Look to your left. That guy's not from South. How do you know? Some guy at a Trump rally without a mask. How do you know? Maybe if he's wearing the mask, you know he's from some other state uh, than South Dakota. But, you know, it's kind of interesting thought. And second of all, why are you bragging about this? You're bragging that people, all, people came from all over the country 
to Mount Rushmore to South Dakota to stand shoulder to shoulder without masks in the middle of a pandemic to celebrate Donald Trump? Then they're going to go back to wherever they came, potentially spreading the virus? You're proud of that? Now it turns out that Christian Guilfoyle uh, am I pronouncing her name correctly? Gilfoyle. Is that how you pronounce it, dude? You're asking the wrong person here, pal. <laughs> okay. Kristen Gilfoyle uh, is Donald John, uh, Donald John Trump Jr.'s girlfriend. I don't know if you knew this, Dee. Uh, she's a former Fox TV personality, and now she's an official in the Trump uh, re-election campaign. And uh, she was all set to go with uh, uh, baby Donnie, uh, baby Trump, to uh, Mount Rushmore uh, to watch uh, Daddy Trump give his speech. And then it uh, turns out she had tested positive for COVID-19. So, uh-oh, it's getting a little close to uh, the Trump family. She tweeted out, I feel good. Uh, thanks uh, be to God. And look forward to a speedy recovery so I can resume working to reelect Donald Trump. <sighs> wow, that's pretty deep. You know, I mean, you, you, you've got to really love Donald Trump, if your response to having tested positive for COVID-19 is to say, as soon as you can, you're going to back out there and go to work uh, for Donald Trump. I mean, it's, you know, part of his responsibility is that people like you got the disease, caught the virus, are now positive. Because he did nothing, absolutely nothing, to encourage any kind of nationwide approach to this very serious contamination. But your response is, yep, I'm going to double down. As soon as I can, as soon as I'm done with isolation, I'm going to go back out and promote more uh, dangerous behavior that could expose even more people uh, to the virus. Uh, by the way, speaking of people with COVID-19, Herman Cain, he tested positive. Apparently, it's a little more serious. His case is a little more serious than Kristen's. He's being hospitalized. Herman Cain, uh, you folks may remember, he ran for president briefly. What was it, 2012, D? Yep. Yeah, 2012, uh, black conservative. Probably. Godfather's Pizza. Godfather's Pizza, very good for knowing that. Uh, he's co-chair of Black Voices for Trump, big-time uh, Trump supporter. As such, he was in Tulsa a couple of weeks ago uh, for the Trump rally. I saw a picture of him. I think he, uh, he was sitting, again, no face mask, sitting with some, I don't know, his friends, I guess. I don't know who they were, but there was a group of people sitting together. He was one of them uh, with their MAGA paraphernalia, hats, buttons, what have you. Not a face mask among them, just smiling, happy to be in Tulsa. Uh, and shortly thereafter, he uh, got the virus. He's in a hospital. Last I heard, he's not on a ventilator, but a serious case. He's in the hospital. Uh, and in the aftermath of news reports that he had been uh, hospitalized. Uh, there was people were pointing out that he was in Tulsa, and this is the statement issued by the editor of HermanCain.com. Well, it's an interesting job. He's the editor of HermanCain.com. This is what he said, quote, We honestly have no idea where Mr. Kane contracted it. I realize people will speculate about the Tulsa rally, but Herman did a lot of traveling the past week, including to Arizona, where cases are spiking. I don't think there's any way to trace this to one specific contact that caused him to be infected. We'll never know. So instead of using uh, Herman Kane's hospitalization as sort of a cautionary tale to say, you know, Donald, as your friend, as your supporter, 
uh, as someone who shares your worldview, I think it might be a good idea if, you know, you stopped holding these rallies where people mock wearing a mask. Uh, this, maybe you bend to the reality of the, of the coronavirus. No, instead of doing that, they do a little enabling. I don't know how he got it. Could have got it anywhere. He just, yeah, he was in Tulsa, but that doesn't mean anything. In other words, he wouldn't dare utter anything remotely, vaguely critical of Donald Trump. And finally, there was the White House rally in, uh, what was it, on Saturday. On the lawn of the White House, big uh, fireworks display, display. Donald Trump gave uh, a speech just denouncing lefties everywhere, uh, blaming everything on the left. Uh, trying to play one uh, group against another in this country, typical Donald Trump stuff. It was supposed to be, I read in the paper, uh, a tribute to first responders who have been dealing uh, on the in hospitals uh, with COVID-19. And the paper said there were nurses there and doctors there. I'm like, what nurse, what doctor in his or her right mind would go to a White House rally in which, again, no social distancing or very minimum social distancing and where the notion of wearing masks is mocked and people are contemptuous of it, what first responder would send such a, at best, mixed message to America? There's enablers everywhere you look, including on the <laughs> White House lawn. We <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Great show. Let's go. I tell you what, Dennis, he really anticipated. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. Anyway, uh, yes, we do have a great show. Miles Kaflaslin will be here. The man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Whitney Young. And, of course, of in these times. He, he sent me a, le- a cheat sheet, D. Oh. Usually I send the guests the cheat sheet. Miles like, ah, uh-uh, I got the cheat sheet. Here it is. I'm ready to talk politics. You need a producer, Miles? Let's go. <laughs> So he's got a lot on his mind, a lot of political thought on his mind from the great Miles Kampflasm. Uh, he'll be on talking politics, politics, hot politics. But before we do that, the young man from Alton, the man they call D-Nice with the news. Hey, guys, how's it going? No one calls me that. Yup, that's not true. Somebody calls you that. One person. Okay, well, it's more than nobody. <laughs> and the live stream chat. So I guess, hey, hey, guys, how's it going? Everybody calls me that. But really, my name's Dennis. By the way, rumor has it, uh, the reason why Donald Trump is upset with NASCAR, too many left turns. Am I right, guys? <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> that's, did you just think of that? or did? Yeah, it's done that. Wow, it's pretty good. <laughs> be at Zanies. I'll be at Zanies when it opens. You know, <laughs> pandemic and all. I booked it. Don't worry. Uh, also, hey, Joe Biden, dude. Where the hell you been? Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone, make sure the kids hear words. Be great to have some updates from uh, the guy, you know, trying to become president in a few months. Live stream chat, help us out. Where the hell is Joe Biden? Anybody know? Be great to know. All right, let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. First off, no public events scheduled for our Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. Big problems become big problems when you let small problems sit. Uh, Hold on, man. Let me think about that. Got it. Okay. But do not worry. There is still plenty to talk about. And I hope all of you like political press releases because right now, in my bearded face, not one, not two, 
but three of them. They have all been posted by the meanest Illinois political bulldog in the yard, Capital Facts' own Rich Miller. Oh, oh, get him back on the chain. He's a bulldog. And all three press releases involve Governor Pritzker's Fair Tax Initiative, which will be on the uh, the November 3rd ballot. We're going to read all three of these press releases. Ben Drosky, before we do that, though, please... Give us your thoughts on Governor Pritzker's proposed fair tax initiative. Good, bad, ugly? Good. I urge everybody uh, to vote for it. It's going to be very difficult for it to pass. We haven't talked about this in a while. I guess the pandemic and, uh, is, is distracting. But briefly, before we get to the press releases, uh, Governor Pritzker uh, has proposed and put before the voters of Illinois uh, a referendum that would raise the tax rates on the wealthiest people in the state of Illinois uh, so that, A, we have more money to pay our obligations, and we definitely need some money because we have a lot of obligations, uh, and two, that we shift from the flat task with tax, which is unfair because it makes everybody, even dead broke uh, podcasters like ourselves, pay at the same rate as fab- fabulously wealthy people like J.B. Pritzker or Bruce Rauner. So there you go. In a nutshell, I'm urging everybody to vote yes. All right. So Jarofsky's a fan, everybody. So let's uh, go through this here. Press release number one. Number one. (laughs) And we begin with Illinois conservatives. And hey, what do you know? Our elected Illinois leaders of the Republican persuasion, they're not fans. Quick show of hands. Who's shocked by that news? Anyone? No one? Okay. Now, this doesn't necessarily say which conservative group this is from. It seems like a collection of Illinois Republicans. Uh, once again, shout out to Rich Miller and Capital Facts, a fantastic source for statewide news. Capital Facts, F-A-X, like a fax machine. All right, the press release reads, Today, in an unprecedented coalition effort, yes, there goes the brown line, the Illinois Chamber of Commerce, Illinois Farm Bureau, National Federation of Independent Business, Illinois and Technology and Manufacturing Association joined together to urge Illinois voters to vote no on the progressive tax constituent amendment. Leaders of the coalition held simultaneous press conferences at four locations throughout Illinois among the very people this tax would hurt most, small businesses, farmers, manufacturers, and workers. Their message was heard loud and clear. Illinoisans are already overtaxed. Families, workers, seniors, and small business owners struggle under the weight of the highest overall tax burden in the entire country, yet politicians in Springfield are trying to hike taxes again. The progressive tax will do nothing to address our sky-high property taxes, will cost jobs, slow wage growth, and hurt Illinois workers and will end up raising taxes on the middle class and the working poor. Illinoisans can't afford another tax hike, especially as working families and small businesses struggle to recover from COVID-19. Now, I got more of the press release here. Ben, anything you'd like to say? No, I just got to hear where they're going with this brilliance, and then I'll respond. <laughs> That's sarcasm, guys. <laughs> this, you know, let's continue, young man. Illinois Chamber of Commerce President Todd Mache said, quote, the progressive tax increase is the same thing as leaving a huge bag of taxpayers' cash at the back door of the State House and City Hall. None of the money is dedicated to property tax relief, increased funding of education, public safety, or pension debt relief. Politicians 
arrogantly demand that hardworking taxpayers trust them to spend the money wisely. We don't. Oh, we got another quote here from Todd Mesh. Uh, Jarofsky's a fool. <laughs> No, it's good. Uh, All right. Uh, it, it continues here. Illinois Farm Bureau President Richard Gubert Jr. remarked. Wait, so they like the name so much. Ah, let's give it to the kid. <laughs> Gubert. Yeah. Richard Gubert Jr. Dick Gubert Jr. <laughs> remarked, quote, what this new progressive tax will actually do is take us down the same route that these proposals have gone in other states. To cover all of Springfield's spending and debt, the tax brackets and rates will have to be changed to raise taxes on the middle class and even the working poor, with higher rates starting at incomes as low as $25,000 per year. So while proponents claim the progressive tax would only tax the rich, many of whom are local leaders, like family farmers, Shout out to Darren Bailey, <laughs> who are investing in their communities and creating jobs. The truth is that this amendment will open up every Illinoisan to tax increases. All right. Wow. They're all over the map. First of all, let me just say this about the Illinois Chamber of Commerce. And I say this as uh, a man who's uh, my wife's been a small business owner for years and years. You guys never look out for small businesses. You guys are freaking worthless when it comes to small businesses, okay? But in the city of Chicago, you support, you wave the flag for every single big-time TIF handout that a corporation wants. You are ready to give $2 billion-plus money to Amazon. What? How is that going to benefit some small business? You know how it's going to benefit a small business? With your TIF handouts? It's going to raise taxes, property taxes on small business. How much was that again? Two, two billion? Yes. Yes. That's billion with a B. Yes. With a B. And it could have been more. They wouldn't tell us how much it was. Still bothers me. They wouldn't. Stop. It's privileged information. Stop asking. We'll let you know when we need the money. Isn't that interest, interesting when it came to giving out over $2 billion dollars? To am over $2 billion to the world's richest company and the world's richest man, the Illinois Chamber of Commerce. Ugh, we're blind. We see nothing. We know nothing. Raising taxes on small businesses everywhere. By the way, I, everywhere I look, I was in downtown Evanston this week. I'm on a royalty. I saw one shuttered store after another. The pandemic has hit hard at small businesses. For many of these businesses, the lifeline will be the aid they get from government. We're gonna get into that in a little while. So how are you gonna pay for that aid? Illinois Chamber of Commerce? Are you gonna pay for it by giving out handouts to Amazon while slapping down attempts to get the richest people to pay the most? It's just make always, it's always like the defending the working poor or the middle class, the taxes on the middle class. Everybody knows the tax is going to hit higher on the wealthy people. Everybody knows it's the wealthiest people in the state of Illinois who are fighting this. It's really bizarre that one of the wealthiest people in the state of Illinois is championing it, J.B. Pritzker, and I give him credit for that because it's going to raise taxes on him. But, but most of the opposition, so much of the opposition comes from the wealthiest people in the state of Illinois who don't want to pay more in taxes. So they say, we're looking out for Dennis. We're looking out for Ben. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Oh, what a bunch of suckers we are. Folks, you think this government runs for free? You think roads will pave themselves? Do you think the police department will have the money to pay for itself? The fire department can put out fires with money that just falls from heaven? All the things you want from government? 
You think it's just going to magically happen? No. We have to contribute to the common good. That's how we get common good things. All right? So if you don't raise taxes on the richest people, they're going to have to find some other way to raise money. Guess what? They're going to squeeze you. Damn you, Dick Goobert. (laughs) They're going to squeeze you, people. They say, that oh, I'm looking out for the working poor and the middle class. Yeah, they, they, cut, they cut taxes on the wealthiest people. And then, like, Kenny G will give uh, Kenny Griffin, well, like, one of the wealthiest people, who supports fabulously wealthy politicians like Bruce Rauner, so they cut taxes. He'll then kick back a little of his, the money he saved to the school so they can have computers, because they can't afford to have Internet service for poor neighborhoods, apparently. But... Thanks to the kindness of the wealthy people who are opposed to taxing themselves even more for the common good, they'll kick a nickel out, a relative. Here you go, here's a quarter. Okay, in four years, you have your internet service. Guys are suckers for falling for this. Shout out to Claire. She says, freedom ain't free, snowflake. (laughs) Good times. That's hilarious. Freedom ain't free. Listeners, that was only one press release. We got two more to go. Come on, don't get me started in the Illinois Chamber of Commerce. They're worthless. Absolutely worthless. I'm sorry, Illinois Chamber of Commerce. You've never done anything for a small business person. It's always the big guys. Well, we're going to give Amazon $2 billion, and a trickle will just ding, fall. Here it comes. Here's your little trickle. Ding. Be happy. And then you got all these... Like small business, well, ben, uh, you know, I, I balance my budget, so the state. Oh, which small business owner are you impersonating <laughs> there? So many. Hmm. Hmm. Back I, there was a time back. By the way, this is really going to be a t- tangent within a tangent. When the Illinois small businessmen were like uh, just learning about the TIF program, and so they would, inv- I would get invited to these like Illinois Chamber of Commerce type functions. But generally, like small chamber of commerces for individual neighborhoods, oh, could you explain this TIF program? And so these guys, really smart guys, really astute people, they got it. They understood that it was a scam. And then they started looking, you know, like, okay, but how can I benefit? So they would ask me, like, are there grants for businesses? And, like, you know, because I'm obsessive, I like, would know more about the t- Yeah, actually, uh, if you applied, you might be able to get a little uh, neighborhood investment fund money. So anyway, they were like, oh, thank you, Ben. Uh, but, but yeah, come on. The Illinois Chamber of Commerce, worthless. How to say it, D. All right, on to our second press release. Number two. And uh, the next two are actually uh, from our friends of the liberal persuasion. So, All right, uh, this press release says, Vote yes for fairness, Chairman. Quinton Folks released the following statement. I know he's no Dick Goobert, but Quinton Folks released the following statement in response to this morning's press conference from a self-described grassroots organization against the fair tax. He says here, today's press conference was the height of hypocrisy put on by a group of masquerading as a grassroots organization whose sole purpose is to protect the millionaires and billionaires who have benefited from Illinois' unfair tax system for far too long. It's despicable that they're trying to capitalize on the coronavirus pandemic to protect the wealthiest Illinoisans while so many families are struggling to make ends meet. Sadly, it comes as no surprise given these organizations have spent decades advocating for policies that decimated critical services, left our education system criminally underfunded, and hurt our nurses, grocery store clerks, paramedics, and other essential workers. 
Since the truth isn't on their side, this press conference was filled with lies from start to finish. Contrary to what they say, the fair tax will only affect small businesses that make more than $250,000 a year in profit, while at least 97% of Illinoisans will see no income tax increase or a tax cut. Now more than ever, we need to change our tax system from one where our essential workers pay the same tax rate as millionaires and billionaires to one that finally makes the wealthiest Illinoisans pay their fair share. It's clear from today's press conference that opponents of the fair tax can only use desperate lies to try and mislead Illinois voters to keep the status quo in place and vote yes for fairness. Uh, won't let them go unanswered. This sounds like a column by Ben Jarofsky. No kidding. <laughs> what can I tell you, man? If they're going to raise the rates on the wealthiest people, how is it going to be a hike on the not wealthiest people? Duh! <laughs> you know, it's so astounding that they would try to get you to believe something like this. And yet, and yet, it's kind of my Donald Trump invitation. And yet, not bad. frankly, <laughs> and yet, you guys fall for it. I think it's a lot. You know, whenever somebody like, what's his name? Folks? Quentin Folks. Quentin Folks. Whenever somebody like, it's always it's always difficult, I should say, for someone like that uh, to urge for a tax hike because like, people hate paying taxes. For instance, I'm looking at my property tax right there, which I just keep looking at it, D. Oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's not going to pay for itself, D. All right, I got to pay for that thing. Driving me crazy. <laughs> but I don't know what else to tell you, folks. Someone's got to pay for this government. And I really do believe we should move to a more progressive form where the wealthier people pay more, but the wealthy people don't want to pay more. And they've, they've like created this myth out here in America that somehow or other deficits, deficits, I can't even talk, deficits are horrendous for just average normal people in our country. That like, uh, this, And this is... Uh, this is a message they generally put out when Democrats are running the show. When Republicans are running the show, deficits, not such a big deal, as we discovered with Donald Trump, where he had a huge uh, tax cut for the wealthiest people uh, in our country. Uh, in the middle, let's see, what was it? No, 2017. So deficits went way up. I haven't heard any complaints. For, I didn't hear the Illinois Chamber of Commerce complaining about deficits when Donald Trump cut tax rates. On the wealthiest people. By the way, when he cut those tax rates, it put more pressure on local property taxpayers to come up with the money to compensate for the money they're not going to get from the feds. It would make more sense for the federal government to tax everybody at a, uh, it, throughout the country, the wealthiest people, at a higher rate so there could be more money to send to the locals. That would just make more sense. But no, we're going in the other direction, so there's more pressure on the locals to raise taxes, property taxes, etc. They act like the two things aren't connected. You know, they act as though the cut in federal aid to cities and states is not related to the rise in property taxes uh, that the states need to come up with to compensate for the money they're not getting from the feds. People who defend the TIF program to me, Dick Simpson. Does, the last time I saw Dick Simpson, he was, well, Ben, you have to understand, we need, well, he didn't literally say we need a scam because the feds have cut the money. He wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't go that far and call it a, but that's effectively what supporters of the TIP program tell you. Ben, what are you going to do? 
The feds have cut aid to the city. They got We have to come up with money somehow or other. People in the city of Chicago don't want to uh, confront a rising property taxes, so we have to pretend their property taxes aren't going up because of TIFs, even though they are. So we have to have this scam, this ruse, because the feds are cutting the our money. So we raise our property taxes. We create TIFs. Look, guys, they're not opposed to government spending. Just so you know this, they just don't want to spend it on you. They want to give the money to Amazon. They want to give the money for the Olympics. I'm thinking of all the giant boondoggles that have come out of the city. And they want to give the money to the parking meter companies. All these giant boondoggles that have occurred in the last 10 years in the city of Chicago. I can't remember the Illinois Chamber of Commerce or this, or this collection of clowns who came out with this press release criticizing Pritzker's fair tax proposal. I, they were nowhere to be found. When Daly sold the parking meters, when Rauner and Emanuel proposed giving over $2 billion to Amazon, when the entire state came together to give a blank check to the International Olympic Committee, where was the Chamber of Commerce to protect the small businesses of the city of Chicago? Where were they to protect the interest of working class taxpayers and middle income taxpayers? Oh, there they were. Under the table, D. Come on out, you cowards. How'd they get in the attic? They only worry about the middle class and the working poor when they want to protect themselves from tax hikes. And then somehow or other, protecting themselves is protecting working class people. you got to be too smart to fall for this. Chicago, I know I make fun of you all the time. I know I do. It's tough love. It's, <laughs> it's a new day, D. I'm not going to make fun of Chicago, okay? I know they're too smart to fall for this, all right? They're too smart. You're too smart to fall for it, Chicago. But no, Chicago's got that tongue. But Ben, you've got to admit, uh, you know, they, when, they, when you raise taxes, they can spend the money. Yeah. Oh, some money may be wasted. Yeah, you're right. Some, I don't know. Giving that money to DB, Darren Bailey, the face of the Republican Party. He had a big paw out. We all, did the Illinois Chamber of Commerce mention DB's big paw out, D? Let uh, me look. Let me look. No. Isn't that interesting? They're looking out for the little guy. What about DB, the face of the Republican Party? The most prominent Republican in the state of Illinois. The leader of the Republican Party. He's the big flag waver uh, against masks at Fort Donnie Trump. Probably the most popular pr- Republican in the state of Illinois. Got his big paw out taking assistance for his farm. Did they mention that in their little press release, D? No, but uh, who is going to feed them hogs? <laughs> you know, what's old boy's name? Goobert? Dick Goobert? He's going to be out there feeding those hogs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and by the way, Ben said he's going to not make fun of Chicago anymore. Got the timer going here. We'll see how long that lasts. Nope. I, got, I got five minutes. What do you say? <laughs> Not going to make fun of you, Chicago, because I know you're really sophisticated and smart, and you're not going to fall for this. Not going to make fun of Chicago. What is a Ben Jarofsky show without making fun of Chicago? Hey, by the way, I just have to say something. It's true I make fun of Chicagoans all the time. It's a weird call. And then I get, they get mad at me, D. Sometimes, like, Ben, you've gone too far, okay? You're mean. <laughs> you're mean. Oh, by the way, did you say Bruce Rauner? Yay for our teachers. <laughs> Yay for our teachers. Uh, D, I just want to tell you something. This, you know, this happened yesterday. 
So I was at the local CVS, all right? All and right. I was wandering through, and I saw on display, I'm going to confess, I'm going to admit this, a Chicago T-shirt. It was a T-shirt with a flag of Chicago. And I don't know what overcame me, D. I don't know what happened. Me, Mr. Always making fun of Chicago. I'm a Chicago, and I'm not that bright. You know, me making fun of Chicagoans, mm -hmm. all right? Oh, yeah, sure, take my TIFF money. I don't know. It's just, you know, it's so complicated. I don't understand it. Just one guy in the city understands it, but I don't understand it. Anyway, I bought it. I bought it. <laughs> that T-shirt acquisition roughly cost me the same portion of money that it cost JB to buy. What was it, a horse farm? in Florida. Florida, yeah. Uh, Betty wishes he didn't do that. Hey, JP, buying property in Florida right now? Not a good idea. <laughs> they had a bunch of yahoos, Florida. Uh, so anyway, D, how about that? You know, me talking about making fun of Chicagoans, talking about how dumb they are. You know what I mean? You know how I do it all the time? Like I'm better than them? <laughs> I went and bought a Chicago T-shirt. I give him three days until he gets his money back. <laughs> no, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to wear it. Probably next week. So, huh, you know, nice. I got this thing about t-shirts. Just a tangent within a tangent. I don't know if you share this thought. A t-shirt tangent. When I buy a t-shirt, I just, I don't put it on. Like, where's the t-shirt been? Not really trusting the t-shirt. You know, I'm really opening up with you, D. And I always wash a t-shirt before I wear it. What about you? Do you do that? Uh, yeah, I try to wash it, you know. Uh, but every time, sometimes I don't. You know, mixed bag. Mixed bag. Okay, well, it's. I'm going to wash it, and I'll wear it next week. Show my love for Chicago. Because even though I make fun of you Chicagoans, and you're not that bright when it comes to property taxes. Oh, there we go. Timer's off. It wasn't even five uh. minutes, guys. It was like three. <laughs> no, you guys are really smart. Anyway, um, I still love Chicago. I don't know what it is about me, D. I, I, I need help. Our I need host. help. He's a weirdo. <laughs> That's correct. I need help. Hey, it's time for our third and final phase. Oh. Our press release. Yeah. Number three. <laughs> Number three. Uh. Vote yes for fair tax chairman John Bowman issued this statement. Quote, it's no surprise that wealthy special interests like the unfair old way of taxing income in Illinois because it's given them a sweet deal for way too long. Working people overwhelmingly support the fair tax amendment because everyone who makes under $250,000 will get a tax cut or pay no more. Fair tax reform also means fair funding for every community and the important services we need now more than ever. When wealthy people pay their fair share, our state will have $3 billion more. Yes, that's a billion with a B. To invest in health care, schools, human services, and jobs to rebuild our communities stronger and more fairly than before. That's John Bowman. For 10 trivia points, what talk show was he on? Uh, I believe that was uh, the John Bowman show. <laughs> no, the Ben Jarofsky show. Oh, wow. Uh, yes. Col color me embarrassed. <laughs> That's okay. It was the old days. When we were back at that radio station, whose call letters I forget, uh, Johnny Bowman came on the show. He's very learned. Knows his stuff. It was uh, WCPT 820. Oh, yeah, that one. Uh, and where facts go to die. Anyways, I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> I did not say that. I did not say that, D. Uh, let's erase that for the podcast, okay? <laughs> Oh, yeah, he came on the show. He learned. The guy knows stuff. He's a really smart guy. 
Anyway, John Bowman. Yeah, here, here. I'm with you, John well, what Bowman. What are the chances of getting him back on this podcast? We could reach out to him. All right, let's try it. Let's try it. Hold on, I'm calling him right now. Okay, well, not right now. Got a show to do. All right, uh, so those are those three uh, press releases there. And other statewide news, Jim Oberweiss, the state (laughs) senator who is a GOP House hopeful and who loaned his congressional campaign $1.1 million, is the chairman of Oberweiss Dairy, a company taking a $5.6 million federal paycheck protection program COVID-19 pandemic forgivable loan. The dairy, famous for its ice cream, is in a rarefied group of 255 Illinois companies getting between $5 million and $10 million in the PPP loans, the top amount according to U.S. Treasury data released on Monday. The triple P loans were approved by bipartisan congressional votes in the wake of the coronavirus infections, triggering government shutdown orders and an economic meltdown. To date, over 202,000 Illinois employees received triple P funds. The financial lifeline was intended to help employers keep people on the payroll and pay some overhead expenses. If used as intended, the loans do not have to be repaid. Uh, An Oberweiss spokesman told the Sun-Times the exact amount was $5.6 million. Treasury records show Oberweiss Dairy got the triple P loans on April 8th from CIBC Bank USA to cover 500 employees, the maximum amount allowed under the triple P program. All right, so we got all the information here. So what do you know? A rich guy getting more money. Yeah. Did they mention that, by the way, in the press release from the Illinois Chamber of Commerce? Did they mention Oberweiss having that big paw out there for the federal loan? Did they mention that, D? I'm looking. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. No. Oh, isn't that interesting? What's his name, Goobert? Hey, Goobert, go back and rewrite your press release. You guys all want to feed from the trough, rich guys, Illinois Chamber of Commerce types, but you don't want to pay, huh? Is that it? You just want to take? You don't want to give? It's somehow or other economic development when you got your big paws in the trough, slurping it down, (laughs) you know, dribbling, soup dribbling down your face. That's somehow economic development. But when you try to pay, you know, asking for a little money, please, sir, can I have some money to finance government? Go back to your corner, rumph. You're like Scrooge. Isn't that interesting? They didn't mention that. Oberweiss, this guy's to the right of Ronald Reagan, ladies and gentlemen. One of the most conservative politicians in the state of Illinois. Always running for office. He's too conservative even for Illinois. Now he's going up against Lauren Underwood. He's conservative, like all conservatives. He's against taxation and believes people should pull themselves up by the bootstraps. First time he gets in any trouble, big paw out. Help me, government, please. Bail me out. Hey, Oberweiss. I know it's for your employees. Why don't you dig into the family fortune and pay them? If you believe in people helping each other, if you believe, if you're against entitlements, isn't that interesting? The same old Republicans whine and cry when you tax the wealthy to pay for government. They're the first in line to get what they can get. Oberweiss, yeah, isn't that interesting? Old Oberweiss. And where's the Illinois Chamber of Commerce to denounce that giveaway? Well, then you don't understand. <laughs> it's for economic development. Oh, when your rich fat cat friends get the handout, that's economic development. Right, now I'm getting it, oh. But when we raise taxes to hire nurses, that's wasteful spending. I get it. I get it. Chicagoans, 
this is what I'm saying, but you're too smart to fall for this. You're smart. Remember you, that. You remember you're too smart to fall for this. I could I could see people in Chicago. Oh, I don't know, Ben. I I feel the tug. I I I don't know. Gubert's making so much sense to me now. I, I can't help it. Don't talk to me about Oberweiss. It's overload. My brain's overloading. <laughs> it's overloading. Oh, no. I like Oberweiss. I like his ice cream. Come on, Chicagoans. You're too smart to fall for it. Shout out to Brianna on the live stream chat. She says, F Jim Oberweiss and his curdled ass milk. <laughs> yeah, that too. Here, here. Harumph. Oh, give me more. Uh, by the way, did you have? do you have any more updates on that one? I got no, one. No, that's it. Well, this morning, let's see, what time was it? Some ungodly hour. Uh, I got a text from our dear friend, uh, Dixon Romeo, who was a guest on the show. Uh, weekend bonus drop, LSC member. I believe the show was dropped Sunday. And then we went on a tangent in that interview. Dan, I don't know if you know about movie villains. Remember at the end oh, of the yeah, show? yeah, yeah. We were having this learned discussion about... Go, go download that interview, by the way. Uh, both Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader websites, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast, tell your friends. God, you're good. Um, uh, <laughs> I could not do that in a million years, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> He's really good. Uh, so where was it? Oh, so yeah, we were talking about, we had a learned discussion about education in Chicago and policing in Chicago. And police is, somehow or other we got on a tangent about movie villains. I didn't even know the guy liked movies that much. He was very learned about movie villains, wasn't he, Dean? Yeah, we did the Mount Rushmore of movie villains. Who's the top four movie villains? Feel free to weigh in, live stream chat. <laughs> Oh, God, I was so old. He's really young. And Dennis is really young. And so there I was. Well, the Noah Cross character in Chinatown, and the two of them were like, oh! Oh, God, i got to be more relevant, D. Anyway, uh, uh, Dixon was so kind. At some ungodly hour, he gets up early. He's like you, D. Gets up early, chops wood, and, well, I'm not going to say he smokes a doobie. But uh, anyway, okay. uh, he gets up early. He sent me, he sent me a, a copy of a Damielopoulos tweet. How about young Daniel tw tweeting like crazy, all right? Oh, yeah. From BEZ. I'm Danny Mielopoulos. Uh, and uh, it was all about how part it. It wasn't on Oberweiss' angle getting, with the big paw out getting money from the feds. It was Sterling Bay. Now, Sterling Bay, if you remember Chicagoans, okay? Sterling Bay's a developer that had its big paw out. Speaking of rich guys with the paw out, 1.3 billion, that's billion with a B, a handout in property tax dollars for the Lincoln Yards project, a complete and total utter waste of money, if you ask me. And, uh, but yet, oh, brown line. Brown line's still running, folks. Take a hit, everybody. <laughs> anyway, Ster Sterling Bay, they're like, hmm. We have payroll obligations that we have to meet in the middle of the pandemic. The times are hard, so we could just you know rip up the 1.3 billion and you know uh, save government money. Uh uh, negatory. Big paw out again. They took some federal money to meet their payroll obligations. Look, again, no problem with Jimmy Overweiss and the Overweiss fortune getting the federal loan. It's really not a loan if you uh, use it on uh, paying salaries. The federal handout, uh, I have no problem with Sterling Bay, keeping people on the payroll, getting the federal handout if they keep the people on the payroll. But come on, guys. You know you got the big paw out. You know you're feeding at the trough. Step up. Pritzker's out there. He's exposed. He's proposing this tax on the wealthiest people 
so we can have the money to pay our obligations. We have to squeeze everybody with red light cameras. And what else is there? Oh, they're back to booting. Yes, we talked about booting. Who were we talking about the boot with? These somewhere in last week. It was in the news. It was in the news. You, you were talking with me about oh, it. Oh, it was you. Well, you okay. don't remember our conversations, huh? No. I can't remember what happened yesterday. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so, but, so, guys, you got the money. You played the game. You shook down the system. Okay, I get it. You're successful. Why don't you do some common good? So my, I say to Sterling Bay and, and Oberweiss, which is hilarious thinking of this, why don't you join forces with your fellow rich guy, J.B. Pritzker, in calling for a raise in the highest tax rate. You're benefiting from the system. You're playing the game. You pretend you aren't, but you are. Come on, Sterling Bay. Let's hit. I know you guys, I know you guys are taking the money. You want it. You got Rom to do your bidding. You got the city council to do your bidding. You got Lori Lightfoot to look the other way and duck out on that fight. You got Lori Lightfoot to send the lawyers in to defeat the lawsuit that would kill any opportunity to uh, challenge the Lincoln Yard TIF deal. Why don't you, as just on the other side, just take a stand for the people of Chicago. Take a stand for the people of Illinois and figure out and have and support the proposal to raise rates on the wealth. Why don't you do that? Why don't you break from the Illinois Chamber of Commerce and join forces with J.B. Pritzker? Okay. That'd be really nice if you could do that, Sterling Bay, uh, in between. Slurping up slop from the trough. I'm not a perfect person. Yeah, that's J.B. Pritzker. At least he's taking a stand, D, on that. All right, so that's our news for today. Coming up, we're going to talk a little more uh, about, uh, we have some Mayor Lightfoot news, but uh, we've reached uh, 2 o'clock, so we're going to save that for the end of the program. Let's go to the live stream chat real quick. Uh, shout out to Radio Doogie, our man on the live stream chat. He says, Dennis wakes up early and chops wood. Don't chop wood, by the way, guys. And I haven't smoked weed in like three weeks, all right? So just for the record. Wow. I know. Really? Yeah. You look good. By the way, folks, if you could see him, he looks unbelievable. He's got this tan. He's got this. He's doing this biking. He's wearing his IBEW t-shirt, right? Isn't that the electric? Yeah, I got my uh, IBEW t-shirt. Jeff Johnson, he's wearing the t-shirt you gave him. He's looking great. So that wood chopping is doing well for him. And... The moratorium on the reefer is uh, apparently doing wonders for him as well. And uh, shout out to Pat Rod. Pat Rod says, my wife is convinced chopping wood is a metaphor for something else. Something more self-pleasurable. The more I hear it, the more I think she's right. That's not what we mean by chopping wood. I, I can actually, see where you're thinking that, though. No, I actually, Pat Rod, I, I think you may be on to something. Uh, hey, now. It's, you know, it's like a Beatles lyric, Pat Rod. Like John Lennon, I, I, I never intended that, but now that you say it, for Christ's sakes, it may be true. Oh, wow. wow. I thought one of the Beatles was here. That was my end. John Lennon imitation. By the way, I think it's Ringo's birthday today. Oh, hey. Happy, happy birthday, birthday, Ringo. Ringo. Do you, okay. Let, what? Here we go. Millennial Beatle test. Millennial Beatle test for 50 trivia points. Whoa. We usually just do 10. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, you're right. This is not worth 50. For 10 trivia points, what instrument does Ringo Starr play? Ringo Starr is the drummer. Whoa. Ding, ding, ding. That's correct. We all live in a yellow submarine. Happy birthday, Ringo. Come at me, bro. All right. Uh, For 10 trivia points, how old is Ringo? Okay, we're done with the trivia. <laughs> I love trivia. 
All right, more a live stream uh, chat room. Oh, hey, our good friend Talking Chit is back on the live stream chat, and he's kind of filthy. Oh, come on, clean up the act. Yeah, right? You know, do what you want, I guess. You know, it is a podcast. Yeah, welcome, Talking Chit. T a l l k e n c h i t. Uh, that was funny. All right, and uh, let's see here. Uh, I guess that's it. So uh, shout out to everyone on the live stream chat. Feel free to weigh in. Like I said, more uh, news involving our Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. That's going to be coming up after our interview with In These Times writer Miles Camp Lassen. You look like you got something else you want to say. I'd like to say a little something else before we uh, take okay, the break. Go ahead. My favorite part of the show where we call the guest. My absolute favorite part. Great of the outro, show. but go ahead. <laughs> I know. <laughs> And folks, oops, sorry about that. He really worked on that outro. Okay, I he was, when I got here, like he's got a typewriter. Don't bother me. He's got a cigarette dangling from his mouth. He's like Russell Crowe. He takes his hair and he throws it back. Uh, anyway, there's a Jesse Smollett update in the uh, my, my beloved bright one today. And I can't believe, D, that we ever were so obsessed with the Justice Millette story. You know, it seems so insignificant these days. Although Donnie Trump's press secretary raised it. it was, uh, we'll talk about that later. But anyway, Justice Millette's lawyers, man, they are. <laughs> I actually am with them on this one. They're, they petitioned the judge to uh, turn over all the files dealing with the firing of uh, former police superintendent Eddie Johnson. It's like a mixing of scandals that suddenly seem insignificant in the middle of the COVID uh, outbreak. Anyway, from last year's scandals, uh, Justice Mullet's lawyers, I, I don't know what they hope to find in these files, uh, but this falls under the category of nice try, guys. Uh, the, the federal judge said, no way, I'm not <laughs> ordering this. I'm actually with the Justice Mullet lawyers. I just believe in transparency. So, yeah. What the heck? Even there's no, even though there's no real correlation that I can see between Justice Millett's case and Eddie Johnson. Sure, turn over more files. Let's see what the city is covering up. Awesome. This story will not go away. No, no, this Jesse, Jesse Smollett. Smollett. Good lord, we've been talking about this for like almost two years now. Uh, when what? Yes. No, no, no. <laughs> That's like a year and a half. When? When did? It was it January was really 2019. God. Can you believe it? it's right about the time we started our show? I was going to say, I remember you were fired, then Smollett <laughs> happened, and then you were rehired. That's the timeline I recall. Yeah, Ben fired. <laughs> hey, guy, come on in this office. You're fired. Oh. All right, everybody, we're going to take a short break. And uh, when we come back, our good friend from In These Times, Miles Camp Lassen, is going to be talking all things progressive politics. I want a Bernie update. I wonder what Bernie Sanders is up yes. to. Don't you? Yes, I do. If anybody knows, it's got to be Miles Camp Lassen, right? Uh, Micah might know even more. Uh. <laughs> He's got a big voice at Micah. Hey, what's up, man? Uh, hey, I, Bernie. Micah has a great voice. Oh, Micah. <laughs> he loves Bernie. All right, everybody. But you know what he loves more than Bernie? What? Gators. Oh, I thought you were going to say chomping wood. Okay. <laughs> now, uh, Miles Kemp Lassen is coming up, everybody. Don't go anywhere. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show. And yes, we are live from Ben's Attic. Woo! Correct. The 
heard a lot of complaints. an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit is what I think. If you think oh, we no offense, well, fuck you then. Who are you, you to tell me I'm right? full of shit? Hey everybody, how's it going? We're back. Uh, before we get to Miles Camp Lassen, I forgot to uh, mention some live stream chat comments. I asked everybody the question, uh, where the hell's Joe Biden at? Oh, and yeah. uh, Joey. a few of our live stream chatters weighed in. Uh, Jay Marie says he's in a nursing home where he should be. <laughs> Stop it, Jay Marie. That's not, that's ageist, okay? That is a little ageist, uh, Jay A little Marie. ageist. <laughs> Although, you know, the Lincoln Project, oh my God, did they turn out there? Have you seen the Lincoln, uh, they're the Republicans who hate Trump. Do you see their commercial about Trump not being fit? The, have you seen that no, one? No, no. Uh, like fit for president or yeah, like physically like he's fit? He's a doddering old fool. Oh. That kind of fit. You know, yeah. Uh, Fred said, uh, Grandpa Joe is listening to his gramophone. Mm -hmm. More old people jokes. Claire uh, had like an actual answer, laying low on advice of his campaign managers, letting Trump do his work for him. You know what, Claire? I was very critical of Joe Biden for laying low. I think I actually do wish he were more forceful. We'll talk about this with Miles. But I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, That's, he's following the advice of his uh, advisors. Yeah, uh, and Brianna says Joe is asking where the record player is <laughs> in his basement bunker. Uh, I love record players too. I'm not your perfect person. <laughs> and Claire also asked this. She brought up. Oh, she didn't ask. She you know reminded us here, and I meant to ask Ben this too. Uh, ben. Your thoughts on our uh, newest presidential oh, candidate, yeah. one Kanye West. 
Yes, I uh, definitely want to have to talk about this with Miles, get his thoughts on it, because Miles is of the younger generation persuasion. And you are not. And I'm not, so he could probably, you know, relate with some Kanye uh, songs from back in the day. Hey, uh, uh, you're a Kanye fan, aren't you, D? Yeah, not really. Okay. Uh, but what irritated me, by the way, uh, this has got nothing to do with anything about Kanye. Uh, Vegas has him as a 180 to, 180 to 1, uh, the odds against him, being president, 181. So you put a dollar down, and he becomes president, you get $180. He's got better odds becoming president than my beloved Chicago Bulls have toward winning the championship. <laughs> this is not fair, okay? I believe the Bulls have a greater chance of winning the championship next year than Kanye West has of being president. All right, so we're going to ask uh, Miles about Kanye Gate and more, and we're calling him right now, live, on the program. I love it. I love it. And it's off the Facebook CC, like, oh, wait. There's a break. Oh, there we go. Oh, hold on. Let me click the video thing here. Oh. All right. I see me. It's Miles. First thing. Wait, then I go in the corner. Yeah, man. Oh, look at that hair. Yeah, man. Jim Morrison. No is, kidding. Is that Jim Morrison? <laughs> Come on, baby. Light my loose, fire. For 10 trivia points, Miles, what's your favorite version? Actually, it's not uh, The Doors Light My Fire or Jose Feliciano? Go. Uh, the Doors. Got to go with The Doors. Dennis, yours? Got to go with Jim. Yeah, The Doors. Opinion trivia here on the program yeah, today. Guys, going to have to disagree. Jose Feliciano, hands down. When the show's over, Miles is going to send you a link to uh, him singing it, and then you can decide. Uh, Miles. Please I, do. But earlier, go ahead. earlier you were talking about uh, uh, you know, the Beach Boys. What about God Only Knows? One of the greatest songs ever written in the American canon. God only knows where I'd be without you. Um, the Beach Boys, yeah. Yeah. Wow, you are a Beach Boys fan. I did not You know guys that. couldn't think of a Beach Boys song. No, I couldn't. Uh, yeah, it's a great song. Brian Wilson is one of the greatest songwriters. Um, would I go that far? One of the greatest songwriters in rock and roll history, are you saying? knows is one of the greatest American songs written, I think. I mean, it's such a beautiful and uh, heart-wrenching uh, love song. God only knows what I'd be without you. Yeah, it's not. There you go. All right, there you go. You know, I, I was just hating on the Beach Boys. I think it's probably political reasons. I don't know if you know this. But, well, it's because it took place before you were born. But uh, Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan embraced the Beach Boys. There was a... Okay, now we're on a tangent within a tangent. But the Beach Boys wanted to do a concert uh, on on some public property in Washington, D.C. I think it was in 1982. Don't quote me on the year. And James Watt, who was the Reagan appointee who controlled access to that land, turned them down on the grounds that they were too radical. And having a rock concert on the National Lawn or wherever it was uh, would just be uh, too un-American. And Nancy Reagan and Ronald Reagan came uh, to the Beach Boys' aid and got Watt uh, back off, and the Beach Boys had their concert, and they gave a shout-out to Ronald and Nancy Reagan. And, Miles, ever since then, I've been holding it again. I know it's not fair, okay? You know, I shouldn't mix politics with music, but I'm just telling you, that's where my aunt began. it's part of our it's part of our lives. So if you notice that uh, Trump's uh, Mount Rushmore speech over the weekend, he ended the speech when they did the big fireworks display over Mount Rushmore. They played uh, "Rockin' in the Free World" by Neil Young, 
And of course, immediately Neil Young issued a strong letter saying, don't play my music at your rallies. And it's completely, you know, much like Born in the USA, all these politicians miscast the actual meaning of these songs to make them feel like patriotic anthems. When in fact, often they are litigating real issues in American society. So, you know, we can't escape the relationship between music and politics. Yeah, and uh, I love how Trump, uh, Neil Young keeps blasting Trump. Apparently, there's nothing legally he can do. I, I don't know the legal issues uh, regarding Neil Young, but Trump plays his song. Trump plays Hurricane like a hurricane. Have you ever heard that song? Like a great guitar riff in uh, it, one of the great guitar riffs in rock history. And Trump, I guess Trump likes it too. You see Donald Trump doing air guitar to that Neil Young song. Uh, and he plays it. Neil Young is always saying, don't play it. He keeps playing it. Whereas on the Ben Jarofsky show, uh, Miles, we get one cease and desist complaint about some. We don't even know what it's about. We just stop playing all. Oh God, stop playing this. Stop playing that. Shout out to Michael Girardi. We love you, man. Don't yeah. sue us. Don't sue us, Michael Girardi. Uh, all right, we have a whole list of things to discuss with Miles. I, he set the agenda today. Usually, I send Miles the cheat sheet. Today, he set the agenda. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Donald Trump and COVID. Donald Trump's assault on the radical left. Uh, We'll talk about the DNC. Miles is a Bernie Sanders delegate and the changes that uh, the Democrats, how they're doing their uh, convention as opposed to Republicans. We'll talk about Oberweiss, Jimmy Oberweiss, uh, feeding at the federal trough, even though he denounces, you know, uh, programs that help poor people, et cetera, and so forth. We'll talk about all that kinds of political issues. But before we do that, I got to say to you, uh, Miles, what's your thoughts on Kanye West announcing that he's going to be a candidate or thinking about becoming a presidential candidate? Uh, I'm not uh, on, in the Kanye camp, I gotta say. I mean, I'm a, uh, I actually went to uh, the Yeezus tour back, and I think it was a little bit prophetic. That's when his record Yeezus came out, and he, he played at the uh, uh, United Center. And that's the tour, if folks remember, Kanye fans, he wore a series of masks throughout the set, and you couldn't even see his face until like the end, and he, you know, revealed himself way ahead of his time with the mask wearing. So, gotta give, you know, that was years ago, so. Got to give big shout out to Kanye on that. But in general, I mean, I think a lot of his politics have been pretty uh, noxious. I mean, how he's defended uh, MAGA Nation, I think, especially at a time of real racial tumult. That said, I mean, I think that this is all kind of a, um, a big show. I don't think that there's much uh, truth to it. I don't think I don't think he's even filed the paperwork to run to get on the ballot in these states. Um, of course, it would have a spoiler effect, uh, as you can imagine. Celebrities running for office often do, um, especially when they don't have a real political platform. But that's the other thing is we don't really know anything of what Kanye would run on besides like being friends with Elon Musk and trying to break the norms or something. So uh, not a huge Kanye uh, fan when it comes to electoral politics. Now, what do you think of uh, Kim Kardashian as a uh, first lady, though? <laughs> she has spoken out for prison reform and kind of releasing prisoners. That's true. And I mean, to be honest, I mean, there has been arguments that Kanye's whole uh, supposed friendship with Trump was kind of a rouse. You know, it was a it was a stunt used in order to uh, push forward prison reform. And there have been some sentences that have been commuted under Trump that were because of, apparently Kim Kardashian was really pushing for them. 
Um, so some people will defend Kanye and say, like, oh, he's just doing this to get inside to actually work towards more progressive reforms. But Donald Trump's presidency has been a disaster for, you know, progressive politics on the whole and including when it comes to policing. I mean, just look at what, you know, he's doing now, uh, crushing dissent and uh, trying to threatening to send people to jail for 10 years for just protesting. So. Uh, I don't really buy much of that, but I mean, I, I would prefer Kim Kardashian in the White House to Melania Trump, that's for sure. Me too. Uh, by the way, let's just, this wasn't part of the cheat sheet, but you raise it, and let's discuss this, Miles. Um, the really bizarre contradiction that Trump and Trumpsters have toward criminal justice, where they pushed this first step a measure that passed, I think, in 2017, I want to say, which enabled people who are locked up for long terms in in, uh, in federal prison uh, to petition to get immediately released. And some people have re- uh, been released as a result. So it's like a good step forward uh, in uh, criminal justice. So he, he, he was proud of that. He, his Super Bowl ad, remember the Super Bowl? Remember when we had sporting events? His Super Bowl ad championed that. For a while, it seemed like he was actually going to try to win over swing voters by running to the left of Joe Biden on criminal justice. It's so bizarre to think about the world that existed in January uh, during the Super Bowl. Uh, and now I view, and now I'm listening to Trump's rhetoric lock them up, send in the troops, shoot them, arrest them. They're thugs, they're looters, they're criminals. Uh, he's against legalization of marijuana at a federal level, uh, which is really deterring criminal justice on that front. He's against any attempt to reform uh, police departments, saying that uh, police should be allowed to do whatever they want. Police are generally always right. It's such a contradiction, Miles, and yet they'll still come back to that first step program. You know, like we're supposed to forget absolutely everything. Very bizarre contradiction. Do you have any, any like an explanation for it? Well, you'll see it, it, even now that uh, what the Trump campaign is attempting to do is to hit Joe Biden on the crime bill and still point out how, uh, you know, Joe Biden's efforts in the 90s helped to fuel our crisis of mass incarceration and the drug war and, you know, so many issues that have been devastating, especially to poor communities and communities of color. But, you know, that's just Trump trying to have it both ways because you can't, you know, push, you can't criticize. He doesn't have any standing because his whole campaign has now become a law and order type, you know, uh, we are, there's actually, this is what I think the ethos, the, the, the mentality that's going on, at least within Trump and his inner circle is this idea that there is a silent majority and that people even saying that they support the protest now. I mean, if you look at any of the data, the, the tax that the Trump campaign is taking seems to be completely out of step with the, where the American electorate is at in terms of supporting the protests uh, over racial injustice, uh, even uh, when it comes to things like, you know, toppling monuments. Like this was the, the core of Trump's uh, Mount Rushmore speech was this idea that America is under threat from the radical left and that there is, you know, Marxists and communists that are out to undo the fabric of American life. And then the only solution is to uh, have a strong leader. 
this is an outgrowth, I think, but it's a pivot as well from what his his entire political career has been, which has been a focus on nativism and this idea of you know hypernationalism and America first. And if you know if you you know in order to uh, run a campaign that way, you need an enemy, you need an opposition. And obviously, in two thousand and sixteen, that was Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. In 2018, it was this supposed caravan of migrants that were, you know, about to cross the border. That's, you know, how he raised the, how he ran his campaign that time. It didn't work clearly because the <laughs> blue wave. Uh, but this time, it, it, because of what's going on with this uh, spike in coronavirus cases and his just completely disastrous and inept response. Uh, it's harder to get people to focus on the risk of, you know, or the threat of immigration or, you know, outside forces, especially when it reveals that, you know, the, tr- the true irony of all this is that while Trump has pushed this nativist idea that people are coming in over our borders and we need to close the borders, well, now Americans can't even go to Europe. We're, you know, the other, we're the, we're the immigrants, you know, we're the people that want to get in across the border that aren't allowed because of Trump's malfeasance in office. So what he's done is um, taken a different tack, which is all about this idea of the threat with it, you know, and that there's kind of this American style and this paranoid style in American politics, as Richard Hofstetter would have called it, you know, this idea that there, there's a threat uh, lingering in the American society of, you know, left wing, forces, he calls it left-wing fascism, that is threatening to undo people's lives and their way of life. Well, <laughs> that's just not people's lived experience, though. So I think that's not why it's going to work. But I think that's really what has been motivating uh, Trump's a, a particular approach and this idea that he'll, because he won in 2016, he'll be vindicated when, the, uh, w- when November comes around. And ultimately, people are going to side with him and his law and order message. Uh, but as you said, it does not <laughs> jive with his also trying to pivot to the left when it comes to criminal justice issues. So I think that there's a lot of, uh, you know, false motivation going into how he's approaching this campaign. And people are worried about this virus and the fact that their lives have been upended. Trump hardly even mentioned that in his Mount Rushmore speech. I really think it's, I mean, I'm not one to give <laughs> advice to the Trump Trump campaign, but I think it's a complete electoral folly to uh, try to focus on this radical left-wing threat when that is completely absent for the vast majority of Americans' lives. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, we're sort of reversing the uh, the or the lineup I add for topics to discuss, but since, since you already mentioned it, I'll put that ahead of what's been going on in the New York primaries and some of the ideological battles in the Democratic Party. And let's talk about Donald Trump uh, going after the quote-unquote radical left. Uh, I would say that if there was any journalist I know who's on the radical left, it would be Miles. Uh, and uh, <laughs> So when you hear Trump, uh, the rhetoric coming from Trump, uh, what, how's, what's your just general response uh, as a leftist journalist? Uh, well, well I, I think... I think we should be sober. I think that there's uh, a state repression of dissent has long been a feature of American society. Um, and, you know, journalists and activists and organizers um, are often the first to, you know, get targeted. They're not the ones that necessarily face the most immediate repression, at least not uh, people that work at publications and, you know, are, are, are not, you know, poor. I think that the, the real repression happens 
on what we saw happening in Lafayette Park, you know, where they're clearing out protesters in order to allow for a photo op for Trump. Um, or they're, you know, doing counter intel pro style uh, intelligence gathering and um, th- it, that type of uh, work to undo and often imprison uh, leftist organizers. I think that has been a feature of American society for a long time, since long before Trump. The threat, though, it feels way uh, outdone because I just don't feel that tr- tr- the Trump administration has set up, and I could be speaking too soon, this could be naivety, but I think that they haven't really set up a system for going after the left that uh, that would be anything from mirror, you know, challenge what happened during, you know, the various red scares in American society where leftists were really targeted. Um, instead, it's just rhetorical. I mean, that seems to be uh, not to say there isn't the threat of state force behind that. But what the Trump administration is doing is just trying to convince people on an emotional level that their way of life, their values, their culture is under threat by the left. When really, and doing it under the terms of liberalism, you know, they're trying to say that these people are illiberal. They're trying to, you know, make you correspond to their vision of how the world should be and, you know, tamp down on free speech. Well, in fact, what we see in these protests and what the organized left is up to in America is trying to increase freedom, you know, increase the franchise, increase people's ability to participate in the political process, to have a better way of life, uh, and to not be subject to uh, police violence, which is, you know, a scourge that is facing communities of color across the country. Those are liberal values. Those are liberal things, you know, trying to create more freedom. It's not illiberalism. And that's the fundamental disconnect, I think, of how the Trump strategy is playing out. It's not, it just doesn't compute with the real way of life. I mean, in other times in American history where we've had uh, a lot of repression of the left, it's been built out of jingoism or some sense of like, you know, this is a foreign threat that, you know, there's communism spreading. We need to stop this domino effect. And the only way to do that is to route it out of Hollywood or what have you. But that's just not the case right now. I mean, you could say Marxists and socialists and scream these things out. There's socialists winning office that are fighting for more money to go to people that are suffering from, you know, a government shutdown under this administration. This isn't, it's not as if socialists or Marxists or communists or whatever are really the type, I don't think they hold the same weight as they once did in American politics. And I think it was largely the right zone doing because they called everything Barack Obama did socialist, you know, and if that's socialist, if the Affordable Care Act is socialist, giving people health care, they have pre-existing conditions and maybe, you know, socialism isn't so bad. So I think that that's like the how, why this strategy in my mind is not going to work, even though I'm always fearful of uh, state repression, especially under somebody as unhinged as President Trump. Uh, one of the frequent guests on our show, David Ferris, Professor David Ferris, just came out with a book called The Kids Are All Left. And uh, in his book, he makes the case that the next generation, your generation, has uh, moved to the left. Uh, he's echoing many of the arguments that you just laid out, uh, Miles, when you were talking about how people don't have the same fear when Trump plays these uh, these notes uh, from the right wing's playbook, the kids are all left as a book by David Ferris. Uh, do you share that thought with him that your generation has a move to the left in many fundamental ways, 
that is uh, unthinkable for, let's say, my boomer generation? Well, I think that our lived experience has been one of the complete failure and ineffectiveness of our modern, you know, U.S. unfettered capitalist system. The the moments in our lives that have been so um, transformative. I mean, I'm 34. My political upbringing was, you know, through the 9/11 war on terror era, and you know, pushing us, pushing the country into an unjust war. And then seeing things like the Great Recession, where, you know, I graduated college in 2008 and entered the job market where it was completely, you know, impossible to, uh, to, to find a decent job when the U.S. was hemorrhaging jobs and people's uh, uh, bank accounts were being uh, gutted at the same time that there was, you know, golden parachutes for executives and we, you know, bailed out all the banks and gave uh, massive uh, uh bonuses to executives. Um, and now, you know, then we got Donald Trump and we're seeing uh, what happens when we have a deadly pandemic spread across the, uh, the country is that the rich are again insulated. Um, as they say, it's, uh, you know, it's privatizing all of the, uh, the gains and then socializing the losses. This is the idea that, you know, Martin Luther King talked about too, is in America, you have this rugged individualism for the poor and socialism for the rich, where they're going to be taken care of no matter what. And I think that that's what we're seeing with how this government has responded. That's what we're seeing. You know, one of the first things Trump did, one of the most important, and this will, I think, be one of his greatest legislative achievements, was pushing through the $2 trillion tax cut for the rich. And that's why he, you know, built so much support. That's when he did early in his term. This is what my generation has seen, you know, is that this is the priorities of this country and the people that are left out of it are um, poor and working class people. And at least back in 2008, you know, people lost their jobs. Well, what, where did they go? They went to the service industry. Now there's no service industry because we can't go to restaurants or bars. Those jobs don't exist in the same way. And there's really nowhere to turn. So there's, there's very little that Trump can do to win over people that are facing. I mean, look at this. What, around one fourth now. This is the new, newest statistics. Less than uh, uh, it's just around one fourth of all Americans think that their kids' lives are going to be better than theirs. That's a devastating statistic in terms of how people view the direction the country is going and how their lives are. And because of that, they are more open to uh, other possibilities of how we can arrange our politics. And right now, the current that I think is gaining the most uh, steam in that area is is the left, because it, it, it's, uh, you know, a political movement that is offering more democracy and also a better standard of living. I mean, what, the, when you see how much money is thrown around through these programs, not just the PPP program, but, you know, Stephen Mnuchin is overseeing this, you know, multi-trillion dollar bailout fund for corporations that has no oversight. So clearly there is money. The government has money. It's just not going towards the people that need it. And the last thing I'd say is also what we have, what my generation has seen is um, the brutality uh, of institutional racism on full display time after time through these, you know, cell phone videos of police killings of black Americans. And I think that that has, you know, for so long, the conservative movement has been able to uh, rely on the sense of white grievance. Uh, to 
create a culture war essentially and divide people enough in order to, uh, and I think that Trump was successfully able to do that in 2016. Well, there's so many calls for redress now to, to say, you know, that there has been um, plunder of communities of color historically, and we need to actually find redress for that, that, that that's, that's why you're seeing these like 60, 70% support number figures for the protests is because people have come around to that, I think. And that's another reason that uh, I think the left is more ascendant when it comes to younger Americans. Well, I uh, was listening to you and I had to think, you know, the, the evidence of uh, racism was very much alive uh, in the country when I was growing up and my generation was growing up. Uh, and uh, I'm so disappointed with the boomer generation ultimately they proved to be pretty worthless in my humble opinion at least with the people uh that are most connected with it politically speaking so i'm really hoping that your generation can do better than my did on this front because when push came to shove boomers quit. once the vietnam war was not a reality for many boomers once they didn't have to worry about getting drafted boom they just mailed it in miles they just quit and let themselves be co-opted and vote for Reagan and vote for Bush and come up with all excuses. And then trembling voted for Clinton. Like they wanted a pat in the back for doing something, you know, vaguely liberal, vaguely idealistic, vaguely heavily underscore vaguely. So uh, I'm hoping your generation can do a little better on that front. By the way, you said something and that leads into uh, another item on the agenda that we want to talk about. Uh, rugged individualism for the poor, socialism for the rich. I think you were quoting Martin Luther King. And I wrote that down, a very uh, excellent quote. And that leads me to Jim Overweis, uh, the right-wing politician from the state of Illinois who's running for Congress against uh, Lauren Underwood, uh, with his big paw out, getting a handout from the federal government. <laughs> I've already been ranting and railing about this one. On the same day, that story is publicized you got the illinois chamber of commerce and other right-wingers in illinois denouncing uh governor pritzker's proposal to raise the rates on the highest uh the wealthiest people the, the raise the highest rates on uh the wealthiest people in the state unbelievable hypocrisy miles from the right-wingers in the republican party they want to eat from the government trough but they want somebody else to pay for it. Address this issue of Oberweiss uh, feeding from the trough. Well, we should be clear that this program, uh, the, uh, the PPP program, this was how the U.S. government decided to deal with this economic catastrophe of a forced shutdown. And in that sense, I don't begrudge companies for trying to take advantage of it because this is what, you know, this is what the U.S. government decided to do against, you know, the wishes of the left. I mean, the, the CARES Act that got passed was largely a Senate Republican created bill. So we, we should be clear about how this was all set up in the first place. Um, Democrats went along with that, but this wasn't initially their plan. You see, even in the HEROES Act, there's some move towards uh, beginning to pay out towards to keep employees on the payroll. This is what other countries around the country, around the world have done, and they've been far more successful in terms of keeping their, their employment roles intact, and their economy is actually recovering, unlike the U.S., not to mention the fact that they, by and large, have the virus under control, which, uh, which we do not. But so just some background on, like, the PPP. So 
that's why I'm generally anti like shaming companies for taking it because like this is what the government said to do. So of course they're going to do it. But you're completely right when you mention somebody like Jim Oberweis, somebody who has built their career, political career. I mean, not as not his uh, ice cream career, but his <laughs> his political career, all on uh, making tr- trying to cut off government funding and saying we need we we need rugged individualism. This is like you know this idea of bootstrap mentality. It's always the richest people, for some reason, that tend to uh, be the biggest purveyors of this uh, philosophy. But this idea that, you know, we need to, and, and another example I'd like to bring up is that the Ayn Rand Institute, or Ayn Rand, one of the most, you know, famous uh, libertarians, she, uh, she wrote The Fountainhead, she created this fake uh, philosophy of objectivism, which is all about accumulating personal wealth and being as selfish as possible without caring about anybody else around you. Uh, uh, they also received uh, potentially millions of dollars through this PPP loan. They're on the, they're on the list as well. <laughs> the Enran Institute. So wait, hold know, on, hold on. Let's just pause for a moment. I miss, how did I miss that? They had to pause and ran. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, <laughs> and so I, it just shows this is, there is, it's not just hypocrisy. It's just that these aren't valid outlooks. They're just not, it's just trying to convince you that you need to take care of yourself. Government shouldn't be in the job of providing social welfare at all. But of course we're going to take, you know, what we can off the top because that's their goal is all about making money and getting paid. And Hey, I do think that Oberweiss employees should continue getting their paychecks and get paid. And if the, money help them do that, then that's good. But Jim Oberweiss has a huge fortune. He's one of the richest people in the state. And now he's using that to take on Lauren Underwood, who is, a, you know, generally a progressive Democrat who is actually fighting to, you know, create a bigger social safety net in the U.S. Uh, whereas Jim Oberweiss is fundamentally against that. But at the same time, he's taking the money. So, yeah, you're very right to, to point out the hypocrisy there. No, I, I'm with you. The whole thing that you said, I wrote it down, shaming uh, corporations. Uh, in, the, in the abstract, that's not a good idea because these programs, the purpose of these programs is a worthy one, uh, which is to take care of people in time of need. And uh, so when they can't go to work because we're in the middle of a pandemic, we've got to take care of our citizens. And that's just like a fundamental bedrock of what I think are good, solid American values. But you can't, in my humble opinion, spend your entire political career destroying the values that lead Americans to be generous at times like this, to undercutting them and corrupting them, uh, and then turn right around on a dime and go, yeah, I I, I want to take advantage of it because I don't want to have to pay my employees and I don't want to feed the blowback when I fire them, you know? So you can't see it's, it goes beyond hypocrisy. Miles, get your response on this. I was talking about this in terms of Sterling Bay. Okay. So follow me where I'm going with this. So Sterling Bay is a developer in the city of Chicago. They got $1.3 billion. That's billion with a B uh, in property tax handout for TIF. Uh, program to finance Lincoln Yards development. Okay, so they. I believe are, it was the biggest tip ever. The biggest tip was in, that the biggest tip I think in Chicago. The biggest individual tip handout, I think. Yes. So yeah. they're 
That's like, if that's not socialism, I don't know what it is, okay? So I would say that a company that is the beneficiary of so much largesse and so much generosity from the taxpayers of Chicago, money that would otherwise go to the public school children of Chicago, to the police department of Chicago, to the firefighters of Chicago, if they're the beneficiary of that, they should help out in the fight uh, for a fair tax. If you're going to take the money then you should uphold the notion that government needs to be funded and the way to fairly fund it is to have the highest rate. But it's when corporations duck that responsibility, Miles, and yet still take the handout, that's when I feel we, we as journalists or whatever the hell we are, lefties, whatever we are, we have an obligation to shame them. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, that's what... <laughs> I think corporate irresponsibility this is the thing is that we have very little say over what the private sector does we we have some say over what the public sector does we can vote some people in and out you know a lot of people get appointed but they're appointed by elected officials we can FOIA things you know we could file freedom of information act requests we can find out details in the public sector in the private sector none of that exists you know we don't have a very open economy in that way you know and certainly not a democratic one where we have uh, say over even information about corporate ac uh, activities. So in, in lieu of that, I think, you know, shaming in that way and like publicizing and showing uh, hypocrisy is a very effective tool to change behavior because the last thing that companies want is bad PR. And that's why it, it, it's also the last thing like government administrations want. Um, but corporations, we don't, we just don't have many levers of power, partially because of how low the unionization rates are in this country. There's just little outside um, uh, uh, energy we can put upon corporate actors to change their behavior. Um, so I think that you're right. I think that that's, you know, one uh, po possible way to work towards, you know, changing in for, for the better how corporations act under this environment. All right, and uh, we'll close with the discussion of sort of the ideological uh, battle going on in the Democratic Party. You haven't been on the show, I think, since uh, the New York primary. Jamal Bowman, Bowman was successful uh, defeating Elliot Engel. On the other hand, down in Kentucky, uh, Amy McGrath defeated Charles Booker uh, in the primary to uh, run against Mitch McConnell in the Senate race. What kind of conclusions are you drawing from these primaries uh, over the last couple of weeks? I think there is, so I wrote a piece uh, after the uh, the Bowman victory. I don't know if it's still, uh, I don't know if it's officially been uh, listed as uh, being done. I mean, this is one of the realities of mail-in voting is that the tallying just takes a lot longer. And I think that's something we're going to have to get used to is dealing with a longer turnaround for when we get results. Um, but it, it it's very clear that uh, Jamal Bowman won and won decisively uh, in that race against Elliot Engel. This is somebody, a 16-term uh, congressperson, who's one of the most uh, powerful Democrats, who's the head of the uh, House Foreign Affairs Committee, a very hawkish uh, Democrat. Jamal Bowman, meanwhile, ran, as a first-time candidate, he ran on a broad left-wing agenda. He was supported by not just groups like uh, Justice Democrats, but also the Democratic Socialists of America, um, along with like Working Families Party that are forming, I think, this new 
left uh, left wing electoral ecosystem or infrastructure that's allowing these challenges to to happen and to be successful. And I think you know almost as important as the Bowman win, which is toppling an incumbent, is that a lot of these a lot of the time when you see you know surprise wins or people being kicked out of office that were in there for a long time, people chalk it up to some type of anti incumbency atmosphere, you know, among the electorate. Well, at the same time, we also saw people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She faced a tough primary fight in that her opponent was a CNBC contributor who raised millions and millions of dollars running attack ads against her. AOC won by 50 points as an incumbent. So it's not just anti-incumbent. It's that, you know, I think that there's, at least in New York, which is admittedly a deep blue uh, city and state, uh, there's a, 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 an appetite for this type of left-wing approach to electoral politics. Julia Salazar, another, she's a state senator in New York, also a Democratic Socialist. She won her re-election uh, by, by a large mar- margin. Many other examples of this. And I think it's, it, it just shows people are getting a taste right now, I think, of what social what an actual social welfare program in the United States could be. I know that sounds surprising considering that we're in the midst of a complete uh, economic catastrophe, but because of the CARES Act, for example, the CARES Act uh, increased the safety net protections just this year by $460 billion um, for, um, and that's more than the government spent in all of last year on support for non-elderly uh, needy Americans and um, incomes actually rose in April among the uh, among poor Americans. How did that happen? They got a six hundred dollar weekly uh, extra unemployment benefit. They got a twelve hundred dollar stimulus check. It's it's just it, it's a sad mark of how um, it truly unequal our economy is. That just these very mild economic stimulus measures can lift millions of people out of poverty because of how close, you know, we have a society of working class people that are living on the brink. And once you see a benefit like that, once you experience it, it's very hard to take it away. I mean, they're going to try to, this This is going to be a big fight uh, at the uh, at the end of July. The unemployment insurance is set to run out. The eviction moratoriums that are in place uh, across the country are set to, um, are set to end. Well, that's why it's going to be a real fight legislatively right now. And I think that it's changing people's appetite. I think that we're beginning to see that people see the government can provide these things if it has champions in there that are willing to fight for them. And the people that are leading that charge are people like Rashida Slade or people like AOC and Ilan Omar, Ayanna Presley, the very people that the right has tried to demonize as, you know, these left-wing fascists that are, you know, anti-American, are the people that are actually helping to create um, a more uh, just and equal uh, economy and therefore society. So while Trump is bragging about how high the NASDAQ is, uh, that, that doesn't correspond to people's real life. What does is getting, you know, another $600 check as part of your unemployment that was fought for by people like Bernie Sanders and like AOC. Um, so that's my take on kind of what is happening. Uh, you're, you're right to mention that Booker lost, although I would mention he was outspent uh, by like, you know, 50 times or something by his opponent. So I don't think it was a totally fair fight in Kentucky. Um, 
there's a lot more races to be seen. There's a couple races tonight uh, in Delaware and New Jersey where there's some progressives taking on incumbents. Um, we'll uh, be watching that closely. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the, the trend lines we're going to see because of how much uh, people's lives have been have faced up people because of this pandemic, we're going to see more openness to uh, a, a, a left-wing politics. All right. Very good, Miles. Before we let you go, uh, uh, why don't you tell us about some of the articles uh, you've recently written, some of the stories that are in, the, in these times that you want people to know about? Definitely. So that article I wrote called The Left Resurgence is for Real. Uh, you can read that on anytimes.com. I talk about the Bowman race and uh, a number of others. So check that one out. Um, we also have a piece up today by my colleague Hamilton Nolan responding to a, a open letter that was published in Harper's Magazine today by like over 100 intellectuals about the, the free speech uh, debate that's going on right now. So I recommend people um, check that one out. We've also been covering um, uh, the COVID-19 crisis continually. So, um, so check that out. Uh, I also wanted to weigh in on something that you guys addressed earlier in the show, uh, which was that I believe that uh, Dennis said that we are allowed to go to the beach now. And I, uh, in Chicago, and I got to say, I uh, maybe Dennis found a secret path in, but I believe Lori is still saying no beaches for us Chicagoans. And well, fact, I am a, I I am a bad boy. I am a bad boy, but uh, I was actually at the Indiana Dunes. Got it, got it. Yeah, you got to cross state lines because uh, uh, Lori shut it down. And I do want to say I think that's absurd because all the evidence we have shows that if you're, as long as you're social distancing, the beach is one of the safest places you can be. So how are you going to open up, you know, karaoke bars and you're going to close down the beach on the hottest weekend of the year? I think that's absurd. Also, I went to the beach and the cops were there blocking it off. And they, so I said, is the beach closed? And this is what the, the cops told me. They said, we're not. They said, we're not going to stop you. Uh, they, they said, we're telling people not to get on the beach, but we are not going to stop you if you do. And so it was almost like if people have read Foucault and this idea of the panopticon, that's like self, it's, it's like, it's like Glory's creating this world where we're policing ourselves on the beach or something. And I don't think, I don't think that's what Chicagoans want this summer. We got to get, we, we can't squander a whole summer. got to let people get on the beach. Uh, okay. You're, at the very end of this interview, you're now diving into one of, no pun intended, diving into one of my favorite topics. Uh, and it's the only topic of the pandemic that brings a smile to my face uh, because it just shows how peculiar we are as a species. And Dennis and I have been uh, talking about this for three months now. The mixed messages that uh, go out every day from our leaders who are purporting to be very consistent in everything they're saying, Miles, and looking out for our interests, and yet, like, extraordinary mixed messages that really make no sense. The beach is the perfect one. I've been talking about this forever. You, if you want to go to the beach, you could go to Evanston's Beach. The beaches in Evanston are open. Evanston is the first suburb just north of Chicago, so for the geographically challenged. All you do is you go north. And you got tons of beaches that you could use. They're all open. Now you have to pay. Evanston, you know, leadest North Shore suburb. They make you pay to use your beach, unlike Chicago. But the beaches are open. And yet, the Evanston libraries are closed, but the Chicago libraries are open. So I, this ba I find this baffling. 
a great mystery. Why are I the think it, I mean, my yeah. Go ahead, help me. I think it has. I think it has to do. I think it has to do with you know this is July Fourth weekend and the Mayor Lightfoot's press team probably did not want photos of packed beaches to spread across social media because it would seem like they've lost control. That's and correct. it's all because of this. Im- it's all because of this imagery. But you know what? what you're doing is forcing people off the beach and inside where the virus is more likely to spread. So it's, you know, I understand there's this like PR juggling act going on, but New York, the beaches were open and you know, it's life goes on. So I I think that, uh, you know, my one plea open up the beaches. Uh, I'm with you on that. Hell yeah. Uh, And there was a picture in the sun times today of a bunch of people to, to the point you were making, jumping in, uh, I think it was a diversity, jumping into the water, and there was a ton of people. So, yes, I do not blame police officers for not enforcing this absurd rule. Just everything about the way the lakefront's been treated, you're absolutely correct. It's more like a press release uh, than an actual policy with any meaning, like, move along. You're allowed. <laughs> we always make fun of this. you got to move along. You can't s- congregate on the, you know, what about some old guy who, like, Takes a break every now from walking. You know, move yeah, it, Ben. What about Ben? And Miles, you forgot to mention the part where the cop uh, thought he saw Jim Morrison on the beach. <laughs> and the cop yeah. like, "Hey, man, break on through to the other side, dude." <laughs> uh, no, I'm with you 100. percent The inconsistent, but uh, yes, to be accurate with young Dennis. Uh, he went to the state of Indiana, where there are no rules. There's, yeah, maybe it's a few a, rules would be good, Indiana. My goodness. <laughs> no, it's feast or famine with this insane country. All right, Miles, stay safe. And you look great, by the way. Uh, you got that Jim Morrison look going. Are you practicing your guitar lately? I think you're not. You haven't. You been, know it. I'm always. You, you're open practicing? Yeah, I'm still, I'm, I, I'm still playing. I'm still playing over here, although, it's, you know, it's too hot to, to play outside these days. So well, it's all, you know, acoustic sessions indoors. Yeah, you were doing a No Doubt cover last time we talked about this. Uh, what's uh, new now? What uh, what covers you got going on now? Oh, I've just been uh, just messing around with a few little licks here and there, oh. trying to learn some uh, small bluegrass standards. So that's my that's been my focus lately. Well, one of our guests of the Centrist Persuasion, uh, Peter Cunningham, PC, uh, PC. He's he's like our our centrist guest. Every uh, lefty show has to have at least one. Uh, has invited us to do a show from his backyard, and I think we're going to take him up from him. And I don't know if you know this about PC. He's also quite a guitarist himself, a musician, and his kids are musicians. So maybe we'll have you come over. You can have a debate with him, Bernie versus Biden. I'm looking forward to that debate. And then the two of you can play guitar together. That'd be pretty awesome. And uh, wow. um, have you have you heard uh, our songs from Michael Girardi? Yeah, Michael Girardi. No, well, I've been enjoying I've been enjoying the music the musical selections here today. Michael Girardi is a, a listener who writes his own music and records it, and he's awesome. He's very political. Um, I'm a big fan of his. He's got a song called Tax Increment Financing. Yeah. The denunciation of the TIF program. It's a pretty damn good song, if you ask me. Yeah, check it out. Uh, uh, Michael Girardi Bandcamp. Song specifically for the Ben Jarofsky show. Yeah. Maybe you can do an acoustic cover of the editorial board. Yeah, well, we'll all have this thing at PC's house. He doesn't even know I'm planning this. Uh, we'll all show up. All right, Miles, stay safe, stay sound. Thanks for coming on the show. You too. Bye, y'all. All right, that's the great Miles Conflas. And D, before we head out the door, you got any updates for us? Uh, absolutely. We do have some updates here. 
Uh, well, uh, we always uh, do the public events. We went over J.B. Pritzker's public events earlier in the program. He has no public events listed. Also, no public events scheduled for our Chicago mayor, Lori Lightfoot. Heard a lot of complaints. Yes, you have, Madam Mayor. <laughs> but do not worry, because according to the following story from Chicago media guru Robert Feeder and his latest observation column, Mayor Lightfoot, you will soon be hearing a few less complaints. Robert Feeder writes, oh, and hey, Feeder, here's a Robservation. Uh, why haven't you talked about our show, dude? <laughs> he only talks about me when I get fired. Yeah, come well, on. Ben got fired. Here's a little topic. We just <laughs> reached over 500,000 downloads yeah, with hardly any advertising or publicity. Publicity like the Robservation. <laughs> That's correct. Uh, no, but he, he loves it when... Ben was fired. Oh, Ben, fired. <laughs> well, hey, we're, we're moving on up, dude. Write a little observation uh, on that, huh? Okay, we're doing a show there. from the attic. <laughs> you can talk about how you love the brown line. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Sorry, I got to uh, calm down here. Uh, yeah, all right. yeah. Let's read this observation. Uh, all right. Uh, okay. Citing pressure from his bosses to ease off criticism of Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Well, we've been there. WVON <laughs> 1690 AM morning host Mays Jackson resigned last week. Uh, taking co-host Todd Stroger and producer Sonia Escobar with him. Uh, let's see here. He said, quote, the long and short of it is I was censored by station management and told that I could no longer discuss the mayor, anything that could be connected with her, and to cut off any callers that were critical of her. Uh, he says here, uh, I cannot accept the censorship, so I chose to resign. Jackson and Stroger promptly uh, turned up on time brokered gospel station WBGX 1570 AM where their show airs from 6 AM to 9 AM Monday through Friday Jackson a political consultant strategist and former lobbyist had hosted mornings on WVON since 2017 Stroger the former Cook County board president joined him as a co-host in 2019 uh, Melody Span Cooper chairman of Midway Broadcasting and general manager of WVON confirmed that Jackson and Stroger resigned over editorial and content issues with management and said she expects to announce a new morning show soon. It's not going to be us, guys. Uh, in the interim, Ernest B. Fitton, an attorney and longtime contributor to the news talk station, has been uh, filling in from 6 to 9 a.m. on weekdays. Ben Jarofsky, your thoughts? Mm, many thoughts. First of all, Mays, uh, glad to see you landing on your feet. Mays Jackson, an old friend of mine. Back in the day, he used to have me on his show. Then he realized how lefty I was. I bet you uh, talk about censoring. I bet you're going a little too far left here, all right? <laughs> oh, what a hippie. <laughs> yeah, Mace and I have arguments. Mace is uh, basically conservative. And uh, uh, so uh, interesting mix on BON. But uh, yeah, I, 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 Mace, I sent him a text today. He did not respond. Uh, he's, he's I'm too left for him. And even we read a response. Ben, you're really gone too far left, okay? Uh, Bruce Ronner's a great guy. Mays' love for Bruce Rauner is something I never quite understood. But, uh, yeah, Mays, I'm with you. I know what it's like to be chastised uh, if you challenge the powers that be uh, in this city or state. Uh, you, you're, it's not a welcome. You're not welcome to the club. Uh, it's just sort of like this group think that's in Chicago, very prevalent in the city of Chicago, where you're not supposed to criticize mayors. Uh, so best of luck to you and your future endeavors, even though you are far more conservative than I am. And uh, 
You know, oh, I remember this debate we had. D, I talked about it many times on Reefer. I was for the legalization of marijuana. Maybe he's a little conservative on that. Uh, but uh, he did have me on his show, D, all right? Then he goes, God, I didn't know you were such a lefty, for Christ's sake. Well, what a hit. <laughs> Good Lord, get out of here. Uh, Brianna but... on the live stream chat says, so WVON and WCPT have the same management. <laughs> no, actually, because WVON gave him a heads up at least. Yeah, no, okay. Uh, let's just... They gave him a moment to quit. Yeah, okay, they... Loud maze to quit with CPT. Ben, you're doing a great job. And then one week later, beat it. So no, what not a, the same manager. What a bunch of CPT. What are they like? They get their management skills from the Donald Trump School of Management. Here, <laughs> we're going to set you up and then knock you out. Uh, but no, the, you know they sort of the way world, same worldview. You know, you know. Not supposed to be controversial or challenge the powers that be. Uh, but anyway, like I said, Mays is uh, more conservative than I am. And uh, so good to see he's on his feet. He's a good guy, uh, even though we don't see eye to eye politically. And uh, he had me on. D, I'm always like when people bring a lefty like me on their show, I'm always a little appreciative. You know what I'm saying? Because out of the mainstream where I come from and the, give him credit. Mays Jackson yeah. invited me to his show. Had me on a couple times, and he goes, all right, that's it. Enough of that lefty stuff. And give him credit. Like, you know, he resigned, you know, because he, you know, for what he believed in. You know what I mean? And uh, for those listeners at WVON who missed that kind of content, well, come over to the Ben Jarofsky Show. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. (laughs) I think you're 100% full of shit is what I think. If you think uh, we want to fuck you, break it up, shit. okay? Hey. Just break it up, everybody, okay? Uh, come on hey. over to our show, yeah, you know? We'll give you that content. Anyway, Mays. That's a Rob's observation for you. There's a Rob's Mays, best of luck to you. And Todd Stroger. Todd Stroger, I voted for you. I don't know if Mays voted for you. But Todd, <laughs> okay. just say it. Don't split I up. I don't know, Todd. I voted for you in 2006, I want to say. Just saying, Todd Stroger. All right, we're talking about the rift between VON and those guys. Don't break up Stroger and Jackson. <laughs> just saying. Right? May's a little more conservative, okay? I may have been a forced Claypool guy. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. But seriously, guys, uh, come our way. We'd love to have you. We will shut you down. <laughs> we will cite you. And if we need to, we will arrest you, and we will take you to jail. Maze, you know I love you, but that Bruce Rauner stuff was good. Come on. Come on, Maze. A little too far to the Rauner side of things. And hey, everybody, be sure to check out our Benny J bonus interviews from over the weekend. Uh, tons of great content, all right, at both Ben Jarofsky, or I'm sorry, both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Find us on social media, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Say hey to Leah. She's doing a fantastic job. Uh, we're asking all of you a question, by the way, on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. Do you support Governor Pritzker's, uh, Pritzker's referendum to increase taxes for the state's wealthiest. Why or why not? Leave your answers in the comments below, and we will more than likely read them. In fact, let's read one right now. Sean says, of course I support it. I'm not a psycho. (laughs) What do you think about that, Ben? I'm not a psycho. (laughs) That could be his campaign slogan. And also, uh, you can uh, leave us an, uh, an email, BennyJShow at gmail.com. And, yes, you can call us. Oh, my God, I think we have a voicemail. Maybe we'll play it tomorrow. Uh, you can call us at 
888. That number again, 708-658-4788. We'd love to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail. And if you watch your mouth or, you know, you say something uh, that's a good point, we'll probably play it on the program. Yes, even if you don't watch your mouth. Uh, yeah, good call. Yeah. Uh, Miles Conflatson, thank you very much for being a guest. Outstanding job as always. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, without whom this show would be possible pride and joy of all Illinois. And as Miles can tell you, as Mays Jackson can tell you, as Todd Stroger can tell you. I've never met him in my life. As John Stroger can tell you. Him either. Uh, as who else? Mick Dumkey can tell you. Back home in Alton, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody.